Welcome to the Seven Figure Fundraising Podcast, the podcast where we discuss specific tactics and strategies to grow your nonprofit. I'm your host, Trevor Bragdon. In this episode, I talk with my brother, Taryn Bragdon, and co-founder of the Seven Figure Fundraising Workshop. Taryn works as a CEO for the Foundation for Government Accountability, a nonprofit he started in 2011 with $50,000 in seed money has now grown to over $13 million in annual revenue. Today, we're going to look at specific year-end strategies that you can do with your nonprofit to not only honor your donors, but also set yourself up for great fundraising in the next year. Real quick before we get started, our team has a training coming up that you may be interested in. I'll share more details in a little bit, but for now, on to the show. Welcome back to the show, Taryn. Thanks. It's great to be with you. I'm really glad we're doing this show at the end of the year to really look at different ways you can up your game as a nonprofit. I mean, we all do these things like sending out tax receipt mailings and these other things at the end of the year. But what we want to talk about is how do you take that up to the next level and really make it a delightful experience for your donors? So talk to us about how you do things differently at FGA and how you've evolved this process over the last few years. Well, I think that the end of the year practice is really a bit about understanding first that this is a partnership with your donors. And so what you don't want to do is think of what do I do at the end of the year as being transactional or just being about trying to get those last minute donations in the door before uh, the end of December. And so one of the things that was a big mindset shift for us was thinking about not only how do you honor the donor like you're talking about, but also how do you then remind the donor of all that has been accomplished because of this partnership, their money, your execution has accomplished big things. You want to remind them of that so they can enjoy it as well as quantify it so that they can then take that uh, and later on file their taxes, but also appreciate it. Right. So it's different from that standard where you almost get, it looks like a QuickBooks receipt or something like that with just the lines of here's all your donations throughout the year or your one donation, and you just give it to your accountant or your CPA to use with your tax returns. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to frame it is it did somebody run a report in a mail merge to give me a receipt? Or did somebody celebrate the partnership and what we were able to accomplish together? It's it's just such a missed opportunity if you just do the bare minimum. But the good thing is most nonprofits just do the bare minimum. So if you do a little bit more like we'll talk about, then you really stand out to your donor. And, you know, one of the exciting things about the year end mailing and the what happens at the end of the year, it can be an incredible time for people to give even more or give again if it's done well. Right. That's such a great point. And for a lot of nonprofits, the fourth quarter is their largest giving month. Do you guys find that with your organization? No, we're a little different. So the fourth quarter uh, isn't our lowest, but it's not our highest. So it really, for us, depends on when donors decide to give. I think this is another shift. You know, a lot of nonprofits here, fourth quarter is when you get most of your money. True, if that's when donors decide to give. And a lot of people do give at the end of the year. But 
we find donors give at all different times of the year. Sometimes it's in the summer. Sometimes it's in the first quarter. Sometimes the second quarter. We really love those first quarter people because it's a great start to the year. But it, for us, it's about the donor, not about our fiscal year or the calendar year. Right. How you guys run your development shop and what we teach at the workshop is you're only asking your major donors for money once a year. Correct. Even if it's the end of the year. So think about this. A lot of people think, okay, I'm sending out this desperate plea at the end of the year to try to get more money in the door in November or maybe early December. For us, it is that distinction you just made. For major donors, we ask once a year. And so our communication at the end of the year is, or the the very beginning part of the next year, is about celebrating what they've done and quantifying it and thanking them for that partnership. It's not about trying to get more. And what we've noticed is smaller donors tend to give more often. And so you do want to ask, but bigger donors are very planful. You know, they've already marked off on their calendars when they're going on vacation in 2020, and they've already planned out what they're going to give. So by asking once a year, we're aligning with how they run their life, not aligning with some arbitrary treadmill that you read in a fundraising book. Right. And from their perspective, you know, they're more likely to open letters from you, mailings from you, if they know there's no ask in it. You know, you're not they haven't given you a $50,000 donation, and then you're asking for a $50 plea at the end of the year. Correct. And we're not doing that by email either. So just thinking about this is a partnership. It's uh, formal, if you will, that we ask for money once a year, but it's informal in that we'll communicate with you a bunch of different ways throughout the year and at the end of the year. But it's really about celebrating and quantifying that partnership. Right. So let's dive into how you guys do your tax receipt differently and go into what's different about the way you do it versus that, you know, report style receipt that you might get from a QuickBooks or your donor software. Well, first, let me talk about where I've seen it done horribly. I've got an end of the year mailing from a nonprofit that I gave money to that came mid-December. And so that was weird because I thought, well, maybe I would have given at the end of the year. So why mm-hmm. are you sending this out early? So don't send out that tax receipt mailing before the end of the year because that seems odd. Right. Secondly, I have received, it almost looked like a QuickBooks report. So some very informal you know, receipt rather than a communication. And that's really missing the boat because, and think about this, particularly for major donors, your receipt is not how they do their taxes, their family office or their you know, account does their taxes and they're tracking their spending in a thoughtful way. So really what you're doing is you're celebrating that partnership. And so what we do uh, with the end of the year mailing is really two things. One, we have a cover letter that hi- one-page cover letter that highlights what have we accomplished together as a result of this partnership. So reminding them, but quantifying it of everything we've done together. And then the second sheet of paper is really looking at quantifying that. So almost rather than a receipt, it's uh, like a certificate of this is how much you gave, even if it's multiple gifts, even if, and this happens with large donors, maybe something is through a family foundation, something's through a donor advised fund. Those are not tax deductible because they've already had their tax benefit. So we note whether it's tax deductible or not, and we combine multiple gifts into a total and and note again, whether that total is tax deductible or not. So we're signaling to them, we get the details right, but we're also celebrating and giving you the certificate that honors the big impact you made on our organization. So two pieces of paper, this is what we accomplished together, 
and celebrating a certificate of this is how much you gave. Right. And it's so clever when you think about it. They're going to hang on to this piece of paper and this letter because they have to give it to their accountant. They are going to read this. It's one of the ones almost guaranteed to be reviewed and read by your donors. And here you're having this elevated experience for them. Exactly. And I am, again, surprised how many nonprofits leave this incredible opportunity on the table to actually quantify that. Right. And when you think about it, too, you're looking at literally the amount of money you've given and how much you're invested and you're all in on this organization. And then you have nothing to positively reflect on it and to think about, you know, with that big donation. You know, and you think about, you know, a lot of times when we sit down with a donor, the first thing we do is thank them for their support. The thing that's interesting is the last thing we want to do at the end of the year or in the new year is to do that exact same thing. Thank them for their support and remind them what it's done. So you're almost beginning or renewing that relationship and ending that relationship with the exact same thing. Thank you. Here's what we've accomplished together. Right. And do you talk about like the growth you've had in the last year? Do you talk about challenges? Like, how do you talk about the accomplishments? So we want to focus on one, the growth that we've had, because uh, individuals and uh, foundations, corporations, people like to give to growing organizations. So success begats success. So we want to quantify that. And then we'll talk about here are the big outcomes. We don't use this as an opportunity to talk about failures and lessons learned from those failures, just because we don't have as much space for that. Mm -hmm. And that's an easier conversation to have in person when you can be much more authentic with them. So we're really focused on here's how we've grown. You've been a key part of that growth, either because you increased or because you inspired others uh, based on what you've given up to this point. And then here's what we accomplished together. Really, it's those two big things. That's great. And do you get feedback from donors about this letter and these tax receipt mailings? Uh, we do. People really like it. We also include a reply envelope in with the mailing. And we're surprised, smaller donors, people who will give off that tax receipt mailing. Once in a while, like maybe a $5,000 donor gives off it. But we find that our smaller donors uh, tend to give off the tax receipt mailing. So we'll put, I said two things, it's actually three things, the cover letter, or the accomplishments, the certificate, and then a reply envelope if they do want to give again. But we don't have an ask in that letter. We just simply have a reply envelope and they can decide to give if they want to. That reply envelope, is that for all donors or just donors that are in your smaller donor criteria? Just the smaller donors. Okay, so still with your major donors, they're not getting any sort of ask, even an envelope. Correct. So at FGA, you guys are very thoughtful about your interactions with donors throughout the year, but especially in the holiday season. How do you communicate with donors specifically during this time of giving and thankfulness? So one of the things that we started doing years ago that's been really successful, and we do this just with our major donors, is we send them a gift. Uh, for us, we send them a, a gift of chocolates from this local chocolate company that really has just tremendous chocolates. They're beautiful and yummy, yeah. uh, and people really love them. So we send those to our major donors uh, and also to the handlers or assistants of the major donors. So we're really celebrating the holiday season by giving a gift. It's a gift that, you know, costs a little bit of money, but not a ton of money. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's not like a $100 gift, but it's not a $15 gift either. And we have found that people really like this. It becomes a bit of the signature of what we do year in, year out. But I'd also tell you that some donors don't like it. And so we note that in their file and they don't get a gift. They say, you know, don't send me a gift. We want you to use all the money towards what you're doing. And then other people like it because it's not a significant amount of money, but it's honoring them. 
I've seen other nonprofits do that at Thanksgiving. I've seen groups that do it around Valentine's Day. So I think you can decide when it's best for your organization. We find this works for us and people really like it. And we do, as I mentioned, the same thing every year. So it's a bit of the signature. That's great. And it's one of these things where you're being very intentional and specific. I mean, someone who's a major donor has lots of money. They're not necessarily looking for something extra, but something like a chocolate or a candy is something that's fun to have, but unique to you because you're using something local to your area. Correct. And it's consumable. So it's not like I got something that then I have to decide what to do with it, like some knickknack or, you know, even uh, a pen or something like that. It's something that is good. You know, we had one donor say that she looks forward to this every year. She loves these chocolates. She hides it in the drawer of her desk uh, at home home and locks it so she can eat one chocolate a day and her husband doesn't eat all of them. So I'm impressed with her ingenuity as well as her um, uh, discipline to only eat one a day. But I think it goes to show like people look forward to this and think about how they're going to enjoy it. Right. And think about the association too. You're being associated with, you know, dozens of days of little enjoyments in her life because you guys thoughtfully thought about a gift and then went through the all the process of making sure it got out to her on time and in a way that she really enjoys. Correct. And and it just makes a difference. Like this is a box of chocolates, but we have donors who are in hotter climates. Uh, we're in Naples, Florida. So our Florida donors. So it's sent in a place that keeps it cool if it's hot. So it doesn't arrive as this melted mess uh, or it's delivered well if they're in a colder place. So thinking through the details of it, which if you use a good company, they've already thought through that matters too. I had uh, a few years ago, a group send us a box of homemade chocolates uh, as a thank you gift. And they arrived all disheveled and completely melted because we're in Florida and it was it's 80 degrees sometimes at Christmas. And so this was something that works well in certain climates, but not in others. So you just want to think through the details, be memorable in a good way. And that point you made earlier about sending it to their assistant and their handler, because you usually interact with them sometimes more than you even do the donor. So making sure you honor that relationship between them. Correct. And that's just, again, thinking through the details. So it's not like we're ignoring the donor in that case, but we're acknowledging that this is a partnership. Uh, And in this case, the partnership is also between the handler and the donor, and then both of them with us. Right. And we've had other organizations that have come through our program and even guests on the show. I remember Becky Lewis, when she talked about capital campaigns, she discussed how she does something similar to this, only using pies from a local pie company. And her donors are all mostly in the Dallas region. So she hand delivers them to them during the holiday season. And we've also had other people who have looked at doing and sending uh, Christmas ornaments, something that's small and memorable from their organization, but being clear not to like put your logo on it. It's not a gift if it has your logo on it. I think that's a really good point. And what I think is important about all these things, it's either something you consume or something that's different and it's part, it becomes a tradition for your organization. Don't feel like you have to you know, make it up brand new every time. Uh, and I think some sort of local connection, like with a bakery or a confectionery uh, like we use, is just a, a nice tie-in for people that people enjoy. We can all think of right now as you're listening to this, some local place local bakery that you like to go to or a local restaurant or a local food that it, um, is part of your community. It's a nice thing to tie into. 
Right. And if people want to learn more about this, there's a great book um, by Joey Coleman called How to Never Lose a Customer. And it's written more for the for-profit side of the world, but he has a lot of different tactics and ideas in there on how you can send gifts to your customers and help them um, deepen that relationship with you. And there's a lot of good resources and ideas in that book. And I think, Trevor, just this point, I think a lot of times in the nonprofit world, and you've helped educate me on this, is we think that we're so different than other businesses when it might look a little different, but we're the exact same thing. You know, it's a donor versus a customer. So the kinds of gifts and how you do it looks different and needs to be different. But those same tactics and strategies work. This actually reminds me of a gift I got from a vendor a couple of years ago where they sent something that was like this pullover article of clothing. And they sent me something that was triple extra large. And I'm not a triple extra large guy. And maybe they sent it to the wrong person. It was unclear. But you want to avoid things where you have to guess someone's size or, you know, guess their weight. Like Really stay away from that area. But just go for something, food, something unique from your area, something that's meaningful and is related to your organization. Absolutely. And again, just thinking through the details of it really matters. We'll get back to the interview in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you about our upcoming seven-figure fundraising workshop this February 26th through 28th in Alexandria, Virginia. We'll be teaching the seven-figure fundraising system and how to grow your existing major donors and find new ones. This is an intimate workshop where we limit it just to 24 people so you can have one-on-one coaching so you can leave feeling confident, knowing exactly what to say at your next donor meeting. Here's what some of our past attendees have said. Best thing I've ever done. I am so excited to have learned even more than I thought I could ever know. I've been reminded just how much I've forgotten about fundraising, about fundamental habits, developing consistency, thinking of new ways to attack the same problem. It's all covered in the seven-figure fundraising workshops. I recommend them highly. The coaching has been phenomenal, unlike anything I've been a part of in, in a dozen years of fundraising. This workshop is crucial if you really want to grow your nonprofit. And it's worth the time, the energy, and the money because you're making a true investment into your nonprofit organization and most importantly into you, the person who's executing it. This is going to make my life a lot easier because now I have the tools necessary to be more successful. To learn more, visit sevenfigurefundraising.com where you can sign up for the workshop or schedule a call with me to answer any questions you have about the workshop. I hope you'll join us in February. Now, back to the interview. So at this end of the year, it's a good time to reflect on different things you're doing in your organization. What are some other things that if you have a little downtime during this period, it's a good thing to revisit and explore? So I think that an important way, and maybe this isn't during the end of the year rush, but it should definitely be what you do uh, in January, is really taking a look at your whole thank you note. One of the things that I think oftentimes gets pushed down to some admin person is uh, how do we acknowledge a gift? And rather than thinking about this is the first communication right after they either give to our organization for the first time or renew that. 
And so this is something that, frankly, I used to uh, not pay attention to as much as I should. And why it's important for me is I am getting market feedback from not only the people that we interact with for the work that we're doing in the policy world, but also with our major donors. And there are certain things that I want to acknowledge in that donor letter that I understand are a priority or really resonate with donors. And so I think it's really important to review that thank you letter on either a quarterly or twice a year basis, and certainly in January. So you're reflecting probably a bit of here's what what we accomplished, but here's where we're going. But you're communicating that in a way that really highlights the importance of renewing that partnership. And I would just say, please don't dismiss this as just a check the box activity. Just like that tax receipt, this can either be a meaningless piece of paper or it can be a valuable renewal of that relationship and reminding them why they gave or gave again. Right. And one way to think about it too, just to get in the mindset of your donor is to even like sit down and write the name of one of your major donors. Think about what a day in their life would be like. You know, where do they get their mail? Is it the end of the day? Is it the morning? Think about if they're walking to their mailbox, they get your thank you letter. They've given you, say, $25,000, $50,000, and they get that thank you and they open it up. Is this something that honors that substantial a gift? And if the answer is no, you know, maybe it's time to tune it up and just make it a little better. And this is a good example where this isn't a 70-hour task. This is take a focused hour and really think about what are you trying to communicate and then have somebody who writes really well uh, put it, it into, uh, you know, quality prose. But this really is valuable. And I think about this as a donor myself for the organizations that I like to give to. I actually read the thank you letter, um, not only because I'm living in their world as a fundraiser, but also because I just want to see what they're up to. Uh, and, you know, the flip side of that, too, is and I was just thinking about this today. There's a woman who runs an organization we give to. She texted me about something today. And I thought, oh, it's nice to hear from her. And it was just this little reminder that sometimes I think as a fundraiser, we think, oh, we don't want to be annoying to people, but it's a partnership and you're doing quality work and people like to hear from people that they really view as talented professionals doing important work as evidenced by their big gift. Right. And your donors aren't going to tell you if they think your uh, thank you letter is disappointing. They'll just be disappointed or maybe they won't be able to like express that emotion. And I think just to go back to one point you said a minute ago, the importance of the difference from the fundraiser's perspective of once that check comes in, it's kind of the, in some ways, like the culmination of all your effort to bring in the money. But from the donor's perspective, that's the start or the renewal of that relationship with the organization. So that time after the check comes in is a really important time uh, to renew that relationship with the donor, but also they're actually looking at your communications and looking at their interactions with you even closer than we really think about. Well, and I think that one of the things, too, is that you're spot on. That letter could be a bit of a letdown. But think about the flip side of that. If you are telling this donor that you do great work in all the other aspects of your organization and the thank you letter is really compelling to them, they read that and they think, Oh, that's right. This is the group I like. They do a quality job in everything that they do. And so it could the it's almost one extreme or the other. It's a letdown or kind of a throwaway, or it's this really tangible, exciting reminder of 
this is why you give. This is the, you know, high quality professional organization. And you don't have to be, you know, an eight figure organization to be high quality. You can be a $50,000 organization and still signal that this is what you're giving to. And then they know too, this is the kind of organization that's going to grow and take off. And I want to give more to help that. Right. And this is one of those high leverage activities where you're going to do it anyway. You're going to send a thank you note hopefully. Um, And if you're not, you should. (laughs) But you're going to do it anyway. So why not do it really well? It's maybe 50% more effort and you get two, three, maybe 10 times the value out of that interaction. Correct. It's such a good point. Yeah, you are going to do it anyway. So do it really well. And this that mindset should be true throughout your nonprofit. So what other factors should people be looking at or things, activities they should be doing at the end of the year? So one of the things we also do at the end of the year is, and this is really in the fourth quarter of the year, is we plan out our whole ask calendar. Uh, for the next year. So we look at all of our major donors and we plan out when are we going to actually ask them for money? How much do we want to ask? What do we think is the expected chance that we'll get that amount? We go through this budgeting exercise of what do we think from current donors our revenue picture looks like, and that helps inform our budget. So we do that on the expense side, but we also do it on the revenue side and then look at, based on some of the strategies we've talked about on other shows, look at how much new money do we think we could bring in. But that kind of goal setting from the donor perspective, we do at the end of the year. It's not done, you know, as I'm sitting in the donor's parking or um, driveway or in front of their business uh, right before the ask. It's done months ahead of time. And again, we're thinking through what are we going to ask? What's the justification? What do we want to do with this money? Right. And really planning it out, you know, six, nine months in advance. You know, what's the ask amount you're going to make with these donors? Correct, because, you know, part of our budget might be an expansion of if we raise this money, here's what we'll do. And we never spend it until the money's in the door. I've learned that lesson the tough (laughs) way. Um, But uh, at the same time, what we want to do is really just what you said, lay that out ahead of time. I know I'm going to ask this woman uh, in May for a renewed gift. But I know in October of the previous year exactly how much. That's really interesting. And I think even if you can't do that for the full year, doing it at least six months or a quarter, just start small today. Like you don't have to say, wow, that's something just big nonprofits do. If you're a $250,000 or $500,000 nonprofit, you can plan out the next quarter. You can look at what your, when your gifts are coming in and start putting those ideas together and what that cash flow is going to look like. Right. And we don't do this for everyone. We're looking at the really, it could be the top 12, top 20, top 40, depending on your donors that are really driving this revenue part of your budget. Um, So it's an exercise that probably sounds more uh, cumbersome than it really is. We're talking about those major partners, whatever that looks like for your nonprofit, individuals, foundations, corporations, uh, maybe even government grants. But we're planning that out ahead of time and really looking at what are we going to ask for? And then what do we think uh, we will get based on that ask? Right. So maybe the way to start doing this is just to sort your donors largest to smallest and start planning from the top down until you reach enough of your budget that you will be pretty directionally accurate in your projections. Correct. So maybe that's half of your revenue. Maybe it's three quarters. Maybe it's 90%. For us, we look at the 90% of our revenue. We're planning that out ahead of time. The other 10% is a little flexible, but it's that 90% of the donors who make up the 90% that's really driving our growth. It's not the hundreds of folks who make up the remaining few percent. Right. 
And I think that's a really important thing. Just focus on those top people, make plans. And then even if it's off by a little bit, at least you have that plan and that roadmap for the next year. I think one of the things that we don't do that I just want to mention before we wrap up is we don't desperately try to have a, you know, close out a gap at the end of the year. Like that's how we used to be. Uh, and I think that one of the things that it's really important to um, remind folks of is part of making this shift and the whole seven figure fundraising approach is you're not fundraising out of desperation. You're not spending money you don't have. You're not trying to think up what is the next new shiny object project that I can sell. You're laying out a long-term vision. You're getting major partners and you're growing. Um, and what's been really gratifying to me as we've had lots of students go through the course is they've been able to make that same shift of it's a partnership. I'm not desperately trying to close the gap in the uh, end of the year and have these desperate pleas. We're talking about big visionary things we're accomplishing together with our donors. And so while the end of the year and this time of year is hectic and busy for everyone, it doesn't have that desperation feel that I used to have and a lot of nonprofits have. And I would just say it doesn't have to be that way. You make choices that create that current reality for you, but it's really easy to change that. We go through that in the workshop and we've seen people make that change and it's just a much better way to live and it allows you to make smart choices with your programming uh, that really allows you to grow your organization in a much more planful way. Right. And it's ending that year on a high note for your donors. So they're proud to talk about your organization, proud to talk about the work they do when they have these discussions with other high net worth individuals, other donors that they're communicating with. Ending on a high note is always such a better way to do it. So to end on a high note with us, just want to say thank you for being uh, on the show again, Taryn. And if people want a copy of the yearly donation receipt letter, we have a packet that goes through and breaks down the different components that are important for this. Um, to get that, just email us at trevor at sevenfigurefundraising.com. That's trevor at sevenfigurefundraising.com. And we'll send you a copy of this letter. It's really good. It just breaks it down. And if you're looking to improve your end of year mailing in that end of year receipt letter, just email us and we can give you a template that works really well. Yeah. And I would just say that it's also a, a good way to look at uh, even it gives you a lens to look at that thank you letter that we talked about of just the this kind of framework. Here are some key questions to ask yourself or here are some key aspects of the letter. Really just sound advice. So I would strongly encourage people to get that packet from you, email you, uh, and then look compare it to what you're doing now because we can all improve. Great. Well, thanks for being on the show and look forward to having you on another episode. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Seven Figure Fundraising and our training, visit sevenfigurefundraising.com. Finally, if there's one person you know would benefit from hearing this episode, please take a minute and share it with them. Thanks. Thanks.